Hey everyone, we're back with the District 3 Podcast, episode 149. I'm doing this episode by myself today. Maribel couldn't join us, but she'll be back next week. Um, today's episode, I'm really excited about our guest simply because I, um, the research that I did for this interview taught me a lot. And I think this guest is going to teach me a lot. It's going to teach a lot of people that are listening today also a lot um, just about what's happening in the indigenous community, the history, and overall how you could become an advocate as well. So I welcome to the podcast Alicia Flores, um, who is an indigenous activist. Um, Alicia, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hey, guys. Hey, and uh, so Flores, where does that last name come from? Um, my partner, that is mm. um, his family's last name. He is okay. Mexican-American. And what was your, uh, is, it, is, it, is the correct title, is it maiden name? Um, yes, my mother's um, name's from her mother's side of the family, um, Gonzalez and Langlois. So it's kind of a mixture of, um, you know, Spanish influence and French. Okay. And were you born in Arkansas? Um, yes, I was born in Fort Smith, uh, right okay. on, you know, lived on State Line Road. I grew up half of uh, my life in Arcoma, which is a very small town um, mm-hmm. right across the Arkansas border. And um, uh, I grew up with adopted um, grandparents. Um, okay. I've mentioned before my mother was um, uh, illegally adopted out during the 60s, um, mm-hmm her birth certificate forged to make it seem like my adoptive grandmother, you know, physically had her all Mm -hmm. documents um, forged. And um, we kind of didn't know about this until late in our, you know, family, uh, much, you know, just a few years ago. And so it was a long time that we were perceived as something that we wasn't, but Mm -hmm. kind of along the lines of some indigenous, but not enough for us to claim it. Like our grandparents really, really, Um, made sure that was strict rules about speaking about any about that you know my mother um one thing that i can share with her that uh i want to respect um, her as a person that's still living through this trauma so i don't want to give too much detail or personal um accounts but you know one thing that she does want me to share is that um some of this you know adoptees that were adopted out um especially native children um acts as um getting your skin scrubbed with ajax you know to make your skin appear lighter is something that my mother had to go through so a lot of that within like our family dynamic so that was something that I wanted to um, bring awareness Mm. to was about kind of the trauma that follows us to -to day-to-day basis and just going a little bit back Alicia um, I know you because you know Myra my wife yes I'm not sure if y'all went to school together we did we went to high school together oh you did yes okay and I remember I've I've seen you at events I've Mm -hmm. seen you also at like indigenous events as well Um, and I've I've uh, talked to you several times. I saw you at an event recently, and I came up to you and I said, "Hey, Alicia, have this podcast. Would love for you to come and and talk, um, just about you know everything that you advocate for." Just because, you know, through this research that I did these past few days, I realized how ignorant I am in regards to like indigenous issues. I do know some, but I was able to kind of take a deep dive and kind of learn a lot and and think to myself, why aren't these issues being talked about more in the mainstream media or even in like on a community level, which I guess m- must be super frustrating for you. It is really frustrating, and in my opinion, I can't speak for any other persons or indigenous persons, but from my perspective and just the things of trying to like reclaim and revitalize something that was lost from us, I see how much indigenous virtues are a threat to 
capitalistic America in some aspects and to industrialize America because when it comes to a lot of self-care and mental awareness and just kind of like um, focusing on more of traditions and ceremonies, that really doesn't like play into the role of mainstream America. So I feel like it's just again, historical trauma when it comes to trying to suppress certain things that don't go along with the, um, you know, agenda. And that's very abundant. There's not Mm -hmm. a lot of representation. There's not proper representation. Mm -hmm. So when people don't understand why that mascot is such a big deal, it's because when that young native child, indigenous child, brown child, black child wakes up in the morning and has to go through the entire day not seeing anything positive representing him and himself, their selves, what do you think that does to someone like mentally? And, you know, our society really doesn't focus on mental health as we can see, not as much as it should. And that's something I feel like we can bring back when it comes to learning about our cultures and, you know, shared humanity through shared stories and experiences. Based on your experiences um, with people that you've talked to when you've, when you've advocated uh, about indigenous issues, um, like how much do you think people actually know in regards to indigenous people? Do you think that, I guess based on my experiences, I just kind of feel like they, they think about the initial, you know, like colonizers coming here and, uh, and killing a lot of native folks, you know, and, and, and sexual assault, all these different things. Um, but then I feel like it ends there for them. Like, I don't feel that they even looked into more to see what, what's happening now, what's happening 50 years ago. Um, and one of the things that, that, um, that, uh, that you mentioned, uh, and I want to talk about today is uh, the residential schools. Yes. And that dates back to what, like, is it like the, is it the mid or early 1900s? Um, 18, 18? yeah, yeah, around that time at the end, all throughout the 1900s is kind of when it picked up. And, you know, Carlisle Indian Institute out of, you know, Pennsylvania was one of the largest. And like you had mentioned earlier, we really don't learn about these things in school. We do not learn about kind of the foundation that this land was found on. And I know that mm-hmm. that can carry a lot of shame with it because the atrocities of what happened when it came to first settlers and first settlements. Um, But us as colonized, me and myself as a colonized person, you know, trying to still regain some of my culture back, it's, again, not our shame to carry, but it is our responsibility to try to redo some of the harm and hurt that was established, you know, on this land. This is why I always want to question society about how they view indigenous people and you know especially our you know relations to the um, south of us all um, indigenous people of the americas and that was always a very big thing with me i never understood why there has to be such this romanticism of you know the um buckskin and headdress you know native brave and they want to see it as something that is you know noble but when it comes to our people in cages and separating kids being separated at the Mm -hmm. border mexican americans are if not as more indigenous as some of the folks that we have here you know north of the border so i just don't understand how that indigenuity is misconstrued where in society have we lost that cultural representation of indigenous values Mm -hmm. And I've I've had friends who will remind me when I talk about, you know, indigenous folks, uh, they'll tell me, you know, you're native, too. Right. And, right. I, and I never even thought of myself as native. You know, yeah. I, I just for some reason, I, I just assumed that that uh, only certain folks were native. Mm-hmm. And but I kind of feel I do feel that maybe that society uh, has made me feel that way. 
A hundred percent, because yeah. we have things that are very divisive, like blood quantum, which is a very mm-hmm. touchy subject, depending on who you speak to, because I understand that when it comes to, you know, uh, culture stealing and there's a lot of people that want to claim ancestries that they're not in order to either you know kind of microaggressive um, put their space into a space that they should have no business into you know along with other um, things that I can't think of right now but Mm. I mean when it comes to proper representation I don't think that one can put blood quantum on someone wanting to learn their culture. Um, From what, you know, I have learned, there's only two other, you know, places in history where, you know, carrying around a card was um, you needed to do that to uh, prove what type of, you know, quantum you were. And that was Mm -hmm. apartheid Africa and Nazi Germany. So here we have a blood quantum that kind of like shadows this almost eugenics type ideology and it's just separating us as indigenous people and I -hmm. feel like you know divide and conquer was always something that they established um, for us as indigenous people and this is why we have so many um, so many other other names for ourselves other than just the people Mm -hmm. as indigenous people altogether so blood quantum was some was the term that I just learned Mm -hmm. um, and preparing for this interview and um, it was, I guess it was used also for, you know, to strip away from like services and resources that people could get because they were told, oh, you're only this, this much percent native. You're only this much percent this. You can't actually get this. You can't vote. You can't get this resources. And for me, I, I, didn't, even th- I didn't even think about that that could be happening, um, you know, and, and, and native folks, uh, indigenous folks were being stripped off resources and, and the right to vote and other stuff simply because of like what percentage uh, they are. Right. And um, is that something that you think about a lot? Uh, is it something that's still uh, affecting people today? Um, um, I can, again, only speak for myself, but it is something that, um, and I have talked to um, other indigenous folks that I have um, been privileged enough to be out there, um, you know, advocating with. And um, one who is a um, um, card holder out of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma and um, they it's it's this imposter syndrome that we get you know because you know what proves how indigenous you are who yeah. proves that you are indigenous the mm-hmm. government that tried to eradicate us through forced assimilation schools through um, herding away buffalo through you know completely depleting all food sources um, you know on top of the rape and murder and yeah. you know molestation that happened on again in the residential schools the complete stomping out of culture so mm-hmm. are are we to listen to the government or listen to ourselves are we mm-hmm. are we putting ourselves in a headspace where we're able to relearn our culture or are we kind of like trying to follow the guidelines of mainstream America still trying to tell us if we're indigenous or not that's why I want people again of our Hispanic Latin communities to really dig in about their indigenous roots and like you know the, the they are, you know, the soil of the earth, and uh, the land belongs to those who tend it, and that's yeah. always what I believe. Have you have you always been like? At what what point in your life did you really start like evaluating, reevaluating society and like how it treats you and how if how like your community is is seen and and how you're treated? At what point in your life do you say to yourself, you know, something's not right like things like I need to be outspoken about these issues and there's people that are still being affected about with with all these different things like blood quantum and and like residential schools finding the graves 
when did you start becoming an advocate for your community? In my later years, but again, growing up and knowing something was always off with the way that we lived because, again, I we were adopted into a very conservative mm. First Baptist Pentecostal household. It was very, you know, very, my grandparents were, you know, not, not so kind to us. Mm. We There's a lot of trauma there, a lot of physical, mental, sexual trauma in our childhoods. And um, just growing up from there and always knowing that something was wrong and I got to a point in my life where I was um, really struggling with addiction. I was trying to do everything all the time because there was just a feeling of emptiness. I mm. was going through an, an identity. Now now that I know in my um, later years is was an identity crisis. I didn't know what my worth was on this earth. I didn't know why I was here. And I knew that just working and coming home, I knew I was doing the thing and I was taking care of my family. And But there was just this hole that was missing. And so um, my sister actually, uh, it was 2018, I want to say, had pushed us to take a DNA test. And, you know, we always really didn't um, coincide with that. We're like, oh, well, we're not going to take it. Well, when we took the DNA test and when our DNA came back, it showed that my grandfather who raised us and, you know, at the hands of him, all this, you know, trauma came from my mother and also myself had to endure it came out that he was not biologically my um mother's father and Mm. so everything started to unravel and Mm. more secrets started coming out because if you look at my mother's birth certificate it is forged and funny enough the lawyer at the time that illegally adopted my mother out to my grandparents later on became a judge in the district that my grandparents ripped me and my sister away from my mother and I did not have the privilege to live with my mother until I was 14 because my grandparents kept us separated from her so just life experiences and then I hit I hit a brick wall probably in my late 20s and I said I am letting my addictions get the best of me I am crumbling right now and I'm not doing well and I think that's when I saw that if I had continued what I was doing, I was not going to end up somewhere where I wanted to be. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. I have children. And so I started digging in and around and um, looking up for anything that I could in our family and started, started to try to regain some of the things and cultural things that were lost within my mother and work on our relationship because it very much hindered my relationship with my mother. Looking Mm -hmm. back, I see that I think every single traumatic event kind of sadly procured me to one day just hit my boiling point. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I have to talk about this because who is, especially in Northwest Arkansas, stories like this is really not well known. Um, Besides the Marshallese community who, you know, not too long ago had a stint with a lawyer who was not being too truthful with adoptions that was coming out of Springdale. So Mm -hmm. these things need to be talked about. If not, they're going to keep on repeating. And these things still repeat. There's still, you know, children being, you know, called off when they don't need to be. There's still children that are not being respected. Again, this is why I bring up we still have, you know, people getting separated at the border and families that Mm -hmm. have not been reunited. So where does this cruelty come from? I feel like it's intergenerational and until everyone stands together as you know as one this is going to keep on continuing and I think the first thing we need to do is get back to us all as indigenous people because that's what we started on you know do you um how is the um how do I say this how is the indigenous community here in northwest Arkansas in regards to to unity and I'm, I'm talking about 
I mean, of course, we can count Latinx folks also as indigenous, mm -hmm. right? But I'm talking about like the folks that that organize that 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 talk about advocacy for indigenous folks. Like they use that title. Um, is there any community here, or are you kind of do you kind of feel like isolated sometimes? I I do feel isolated sometimes. I know that the university has a Native American group on there, but um, I definitely think that there needs to be more of a group that may be direct action, you mm -hmm. know, getting out there and really, you know, bringing awareness um, to um, activists like um, Leonard Peltier, who was part of the American Indian Movement, who is still mm -hmm. incarcerated right now under um, really awful, you know, um, conditions. Um, he sh there's been indiscrepancies when it comes to um, his trial. So, but they yeah. still have Mr. Peltier, you know, mm -hmm. held in confinement. And the, these things again need to be talked about. Everyone wants to start with, you know, we need to, you know, let go and forgive. But that has to start with truth. Reconciliation mm -hmm. has to start with truth. It has to start with acknowledgement. Yeah. Like uh, accountability, acknowledgement, and action. Without the accountability. That's it's just kind of like an, an empty I'm sorry and yeah. there has to be proper representation and I would like Northwest Arkansas to be more open to it but there also needs to be a bigger following when it comes to indigenous mm -hmm. activists so I really hope that me getting out there and maybe not always being as kosher as some of the other activists are show that I really want to pinpoint indigenous rights here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here because I feel like a lot of people that are going to be listening are going to be hearing about these issues for the first time, you know, just the way that I was able to research and learn more. So I'm glad you're here. Um, I do want to touch back on residential schools. Yes. Um, so this is something where, like, the Canadian government um, wanted to pretty much just wash away the indigenous of, of a lot of these children back in Canada and uh, they were recently, they found graves over there, unidentified graves of folks that, that went to these schools, of kids that went to these schools. And uh, I think the number that I saw was like around, I think they found around like 5,000 um, graves, that, unidentified um, uh, graves that they found in these schools. And they're still finding, uh, even today, still folks that um, were lost and people never heard about. And, and this rooted specifically from the government wanting to uh, pretty much just Americanize or, or in this case, uh, make them, you know, folks how they feel Canadians should look like, should act like, and should conform to uh, what the government thought was right. And um, I had heard about this just on a very non-detailed way and learning about, you know, I know that the government apologized, the Canadian government apologized, and I know that there's, there's been settlements where people have been awarded money, but the money's never been enough, right? Like, the their apologies have never been enough because, I mean, there's still people that, that died and, and no one knew what happened with them from that point. Right. It's it's. I feel like everyone sometimes thinks that, think that monetary gain is going to fix yeah. all the wounds that have you know been made and that's that's not the case here and that comes with inclusion and again I sp only speak for myself and what my family has been through and how we feel about certain things it has to show inclusion and it has to show spaces that are indigenous you know 
you know, forefronted? You know, are we asking our elders more, you know, questions about things that are happening in the community? Are we respecting our children the way that we need to respect our children? Are we advocating for each other the way that a communal network would advocate for each other? Those small things, and again, proper representation when it comes from greetings in the morning, when it comes to Um, food sovereignty and being an advocate for that when it comes to, again, language revitalization here within the school systems, which is really important. There's so many pro-Native and Indigenous things that we are able to add in our curriculum, but we choose not to, and it's usually kind of like the basis of what we're taught. You know, the pilgrims Mm -hmm. came over here, everything was fine, and this is what Thanksgiving is, and just kind of that. That within itself, if that could just be kind of eradicated and redone in a respectful manner that kind of shows the first, you know, tribes of first contact in a light that it shows how they were a sovereign nation. They were an intelligent, you know, peoples that already had a government and system in place. It really doesn't show indigenous people in a light other than I feel almost Neanderthalish. And that is not fair because mm-hmm. before first contact, again, there was extremely, you know, articulate and intelligent um, government platforms and societies that was here, you know, that was pro-matriarch. And I feel like that has a lot to do with why they really wanted to eradicate, you know, indigenous virtues because it is pro-matriarch. It's pro-feminine divine and that type of energy and to honor two spirits and honor people that can like live into both worlds. And mm-hmm. a lot of that had, didn't coincide with, you know, the toxic um, masculinity, you know, mm-hmm. white nationalism that we see in Western society that's embedded in that and that's why nationalism I feel can you know kind of come to a point where it's kind of you know we're mimicking things that have to do with genocide and we need to take a step back and see if we're really you know about our people or we're about Mm -hmm. things that are kind of um, relying on what we took in a way Mm -hmm. that we shouldn't have we're still trying to escape that accountability yeah makes sense Um, residential schools you told me that it, this wasn't something that is just hap- that happened in Canada. Happened no. here in the U.S. as well. Can it you talk did. more about that? Because I know that um, um, the majority of people listening to this episode, this is going to be like the first time that they're hearing about this. Right. There was residential schools here in the United States. And again, I encourage everyone just at the tip of your fingers, just Google it really quick, residential schools in the United States. One of the largest ones was the Carlisle Indian Institute mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. That's where they, hence the term, uh, save the man, um, kill the Indian. And that was kind of like their banner for Mm -hmm. what they wanted to do to the children that were in these forced assimilation schools. Out in California, where my mother is traditionally, her um, family is from, they had the Spanish mission schools that were up and down the coast. Um, Again, forced assimilation schools. And um, from beating, getting beat for speaking your own language, um, the forced eating of their own vomit was a very big one that they used as a scare tactic. Um, Sexual Mm -hmm. assault, molestation, rampant, all at the hands of priests and nuns that, again, that some are still alive that have endured this trauma and this, you know, type of thing that is going to live with them forever. And, you know, the nuns and the priests, you know, some of those are still uh, alive and well. I was was watching some YouTube videos um, about residential schools, and I saw testimonies of folks, you know, that are still alive talking about uh, folks trying to drown them, punching them while they were drowning, sexual assault of themselves and and their friends, you know, by, by a lot of these, like, leadership in these schools. Um, have you, of course you've heard about these testimonies, but, um, what does it, what, how, like, how does it make you feel 
seeing that, you know, the justice hasn't been served in, in, in a lot of these places? It makes me feel angry. Um, it makes me feel angry for for my family and for their family because, again, with my mother having to endure and the things that have transpired within our own network, it's, it's very deliberate what they have done to us. It's very deliberate that they chose to pick the most vilest forms of abuse to do to us because all of that recycles. Again, all of that is intergenerational. And I want to be able to to harness that and kind of like project it to where that anytime I'm in a space where it calls for me to be an advocate and say, hey, let's not be blind to what other people have kind of um, endured here. You know, let's be open, again, shared humanity through shared experiences. If you are, you know, a follower of the church or if you want to, um, you know, speak, which is your, you know, right to speak and practice yeah. um, your religion, please do not feel that you need to impose that, especially on indigenous folks trying to reclaim some of their, you know, cultural identity that was eradicated, you know, mostly by the church and, you know, mm. the doctrine of discovery. Mm. And um, one of the other things that, that you, um, one of the issues that you brought up to me was the 60s scoop. Um, can you talk a little bit about that based on, on what I know and based on what I've researched? Um, it looks like kids were separated from their families yes. and, and a lot of them never were, uh, like never were able to communicate with their families ever again uh, because of different factors, right? Right. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that and what that is and how it's still affecting people today? Yes, the 60 scoop. My mother was adopted out in 1969. Again, I kind of touched on all of her documents and everything was forged to make it seem like my um, adoptive grandparents were my uh, paternal, maternal grandparents to my mm -hmm. mother. Um, and it was just a big, just kind of like nationwide, um, just spike in romanticism of, you know, brown babies. A lot of... Um, you know, Anglo-American couples when it came to the influx of, you know, the romanticism and Western movies and kind of the whole ideology of, you know, having, you know, you know, that native, you know, uh, blood in you. And um, there's a really good documentary and it's called Real Engine. And it's about kind of um, how movies and just everything played a part in this toxic romanticism when it comes to indigenous people. So during the 60s scoop is when that kind of spiked and there was a very huge influx of um, native children and also children of the His um, Hispanic community illegally adopted out to richer white families. My mm -hmm. mother was a part of that. And again, uh, they adopted her out into a family that obviously wanted her for the wrong reasons because of that toxic romanticism of them just wanting a native child and that has to do with how society perceives us and that's why um, missing and murdered indigenous women is something that really needs to be spoken about because that same toxic romanticism is making us go missing and seeing us as just this you know needing to be conquered you know mm -hmm. object and I feel that is portrayed in a lot of everyday cinema and society with us as well I don't think I I hate to say this, but I feel like that toxic romanticism has put me into difficult, difficult positions with trying to um, maintain my um, space and comfort with certain people. But mm -hmm. I feel like it's also kind of been a blanket over me because everybody wants to 
you know, have this perception of what indigenous people are. And I just really want to eradicate that type of, again, toxic romanticism, the whole um, Pocahontas type, which she was, you know, the first missing and murdered indigenous woman. You know, first contact happened at, what, eight, nine years old she was. Her real name um, was Matoka, and, you know, she was a child during that time. And But her portrayal is so played up of being this, you know, vivacious young native woman who is trying to defeat all odds and bring two worlds together when in actuality that is highly not what happened Mm. at all. She was a child Mm. who got taken advantage of. Can you talk more about you talking about the romanticization of uh, white folks wanting to adopt a indigenous child? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what do you mean? I I get it in the sense of like an adult, like the conquering. I understand Mm -hmm. uh, that. I just I'm trying to understand a little bit more about like um, what what um, the indigenous community thinks. Uh, about like why why they think that the white folks are romanticizing children like can you talk just in more detail on that again i feel like this it all starts with how society has perceived us just here in the united states again Mm -hmm. we don't talk about anything in the nitty-gritty when it comes to residential schools Mm -hmm. we don't really talk about first contact we don't talk about you know um we don't um properly uh I feel speak about the Trail of Tears enough Mm -hmm. in depth, especially being in and around this area. Um, There's a lot of atrocities that we don't really touch on. But again, when it comes to our perception from, you know, children of what I feel being indigenous is, it's very, again, romanticized when it comes to our women just being objects of desire and portrayed in movies as such. And I feel like that subconsciously really like has to do with, again, just falling along that lines of genocide, that that's how, you know, that was one of the main tactics when it came to kind of dividing families up because no one wants that to happen to their family. And so using that within time along with disease and, you know, again, driving out uh, food sources for indigenous tribes here in the United States. I feel like that has always been a tactic, and that is why um, three out of four indigenous women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Mm. 97% of those assailants will be Mm. non-indigenous. And um, being an urban indigenous person, those you can see how those, you know, um, odds skyrocket. And that is Mm. a very just deafening just blanket to hold over your shoulders walking out of the house every day and looking Mm. at your children if you are an indigenous person and saying, it's not if, you know, the statistic is telling me it's not if, but when, how do I protect you from this? And I feel like proper representation and not, you know, denying us the truth of the true history of our peoples here is going to really show that, you know, indigenous folks are people of strength, the people of, you know, resilience, and that we are here to be respected, especially our women, you know. Yeah our femme presenting, like, it's very important, like, for us to kind of, you know, shake off this, again, this kind of, like, mainstream media filter that, you know, Mm -hmm. we are, you know, we're sacred beings, and we're here, and we need to be respected. Based on what you know, what was the excuse that the American government had uh, for the 60s scoop? 
You know, I don't even think they've ever made kind of a um, statement on that. Oh, really? Because yeah. it was it was well it was welfare related, right? Didn't like the the welfare system was the the folks that did the separating and that that. Honestly, mm. the easiest way I like feel that I you know break it down in my mind, it's just kind of like the CPS system here that we have. That you know any system like that can be crooked, and when we have families who are you know wanting to, you know, run and hide their children and, you know, go across the borders in order to, like, protect them so f mm. for not this forced assimilation like schools. I feel that, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of emotion when it comes back to just suppressing that cultural identity. It's very hard to, like, speak on again, like, mm. as a whole, but just yeah. what me and my family has really, you know, been dealt with a lot of this is very again still new to me mm -hmm. still trying to revitalize my culture so just trying to like maneuver around again the imposter syndrome and then like saying that this really happened to my yeah. family and you know what do I feel about this in a whole it's it's been very difficult I'm really happy that you invited me onto this podcast mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things that I haven't really been able to like speak about directly you mm -hmm. know how I feel because um, a lot of this has been you know again suppressed in my family so yeah. I'm glad that I'm like figuring this out on mm -hmm. you know on air definitely um, what are some um, the, the Latino community has some like do's and don'ts in regards to like when we go talk about our issues uh -huh. um, with uh, people of the of the white community of things of like language that you should use and language that you shouldn't use like we don't like the word illegal mm -hmm. we like undocumented for undocumented folks and other other terms what are some don'ts for the indigenous community that you feel people need to learn or something that that American society or culture still does, still uses or does today that uh, is offensive and, and should stop as a society. And I know you brought up the whole um, mascot thing, you know, yes. folks still using Indians and, and chiefs and all these different names that are super offensive. Um, yes. I'm not sure if you want to touch on that and then talk about like what else. Yeah, um, I mean, again, proper representation. I feel like us still, and I, again, disclaimer just speaking for myself yeah. um indian i just don't want to hear i really don't it's mm -hmm. not only we not are only we all know acknowledge that you know christopher columbus wasn't you know technically the person that discovered the you know americas and also i feel like with saying indian and not really saying you know indigenous first nations or even saying you know traditional tribal names i feel like it's upholding christopher columbus yeah platform and you know to me he was the first you know transatlantic you know slave trader mm -hmm. for others oh well he still discovered america okay. and i get to buy a mattress for half off on columbus day mm -hmm. so i'm still going to tell everyone that it's not that big of a deal when that type of again that type of like trauma is still following mm -hmm. hundreds of years and we know better what is keeping us from just completely eradicating that term and being you know, culturally, like, correct. Mm -hmm. Why Why is that brick wall there? Okay. Or why are we refusing to, um, you know, just again, that kind of, like, holds on to the whole aspect that we are seen as something that was thought of as subhuman and not correct, you mm -hmm. know? And it's, I just don't want to hear it. We are, we are not, you know. Yeah. I think it's important that you mention that. And I think just in general, um, there are things that we can do as a community to be better advocates for the indigenous community. And I'm gonna include myself in that, both as in like 
an indigenous person and as a as a community member that could be more aware of, of these issues that are still affecting folks today. Um, and I know that, that you keep on going back to ask for yourself, like you're talking for yourself, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, I mean, you're a leader in the indigenous community, you know, and, and, and your that. opinion matters. Thank and your you. opinion is, I get it just the same way that I'm, I, you know, I might be leadership in the Latinx community. I know that my answer to everything is not everybody's answer. It's just my answer based on my personal experience. But I think you deserve respect and credit, you know, for, for being outspoken about indigenous issues, being here, doing this interview, talking about things that affect your community and how we can become better advocates. So I want to ask you for advice. You know, what should we do to be, you know, not only when I say we, I'm not talking about just the Latino community. I'm talking about folks outside of the indigenous community to become better advocates and better allies for the indigenous community in general. Just what you did today, just look up information when it comes on just anything um, pro-Indigenous. Um, learn what land, you know, you are on, whose land you are on. Um, try to pick up, you know, an Indigenous language. Um, language revitalization is really important because a lot of Indigenous languages are dead languages, and I feel that um, it starts there with education. Um, I loved how, just a second ago, you said you as an Indigenous person, mm -hmm. like, reclaim. It's the first time Do, I've said that. Yeah, it feels, how does it yeah, feel? It feels good. Good. I'm yeah, glad yeah, yeah. that makes me happy because yeah. that's that's what I was you know again touching on earlier that I feel like we really need to like kind of get back to our roots mm -hmm. and get back to what really happened to us as a people because again I believe in vibrations I believe in the vibrations that we you know we send out we're going to get back and our peoples have had a lot of trauma within our yeah. lifetime and we haven't really you know I feel like together as a communal, you know, really have dug into that trauma and that's yeah. where it starts at. And again, just learning anything when it comes to the history, especially in and around the area that you're from, always speak truth when it comes to education. Um, always look for an indigenous perspective from someone of the indigenous community. Mm -hmm. um, always try to respect our earth. Um, try um, as hard as you can to um, advocate that climate change is happening and that we have to think about our you know, our relations up to the north of us that are um, right now in Alaska, there's a lot of floods that are happening and mm. um, we have to send our condolences and our hearts out and our medicine out to the villages up there that are undergoing all these, mm. you know, climate change atrocities because this is really happening in and around the areas where some of our traditional people still hunt and live. Mm -hmm. So just, again, bring awareness when it comes to that. Uh, bring awareness to indigenous topics in whatever space you are occupying. Mm. I like that. And you, you're currently living in, in Fayetteville. What are some changes you would like to see here locally in, that intersect with the indigenous community, uh, things that you feel uh, need to be improved? Because I know it can, be, uh, it can be overwhelming living in a place that uh, a lot of times claims to be progressive, right? But there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. And just from experiences, too, I feel that here in Fayetteville, where I reside at, I can speak for, um, again, myself. It would not hurt if some of our, um, you know, just city councilmen, um, mm -hmm. mostly our, um, you know, our police, if they did some cultural chain, um, training. Mm -hmm. I feel like here we are a mini melting pot and there's a lot of different um, ethnicities here. 
and um, from my experiences, sometimes it's very, very easy, and I'm included. It's very easy to be tone deaf to someone's yeah. experience if you're not able to put yourself in, mm -hmm. you know, their place, and if you're not able to um, show that type of, you know, empathy just out of oneself because of a situation, then I think that there needs to be training done and we definitely need to funnel our money into something that's going to be progressive for our ever-growing, you know, BIPOC community mm -hmm. so we can um, have a safer environment that, um, you know, our children can go out into and not be scared when, you know, they see a police car. Again, I speak for my experiences only. Mm -hmm. um, I want my children to be able to not coincide that with something that may um, happen or they not understanding a certain situation. Um, again, my family has um, went through a few um, experiences here in Fayetteville when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, being targeted and, you know, white yeah. supremacy. And um, it, it's, it's very deafening when you don't feel like you're being heard and the urgency mm -hmm. is because of experiences and how many experiences do you have to have before it's the experience that may be the one that there's a lot of things that you can't go back from. So mm -hmm. I think here in Fayetteville, there has to be more of a cultural um, acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. I think we definitely, again, need to fund a lot more things when it comes to our grassroots program in order to get out here and throw on more of these events and like day-to-day -day basis and, again, have um, culture and cultural education in our system that is teaching accurate you know, yeah. education when it comes to BIPOC communities. That's something that Fayetteville definitely needs, and it's something that um, is being taught in our home. So we're mm -hmm. just um, giving our kids a disadvantage, not kind of mainstreaming it. Because, mm -hmm. again, I teach my children, you know, about their history, about, you know, where they come from. Yeah. And I want them to go to school and be excited to know that they are being, you know, taught something that needs to be taught. And it mm -hmm. also shows them and their culture and their identity is being acknowledged. Yeah. And imagine that, you know, like people spending actually uh, money on on important resources that can positively impact our community instead of spending it on making our gels bigger. Right. right? That would be. <laughs> uh, can you imagine what would happen? Uh, that would be great. Oh huh? my goodness. But you know, one can one can talk about yeah. it and kind of like hey, push on, here. push on. That's over here. Um, anything else that you would like to uh, our listeners know in regards to advocacy for indigenous folks? Anything that you any message that you want to um, use this platform for? The platform is yours. Honestly, I just want to um, thank you for inviting me on again because, mm -hmm. like, there was a lot of things that I was, you know, questioned with that I really had to, you know, kind of question myself with about, you know, what I really felt about it. But I really just want to advocate for everyone, again, in our brothers to the north, relations to the south. I want us all to kind of like look in and see ourselves as indigenous peoples because that's really, again, that's where our roots are from. And imagine looking at someone in a very different decolonized perspective and maybe seeing something that we are all missing. I, I truly feel that we may grow up thinking that, you know, Western society has put in place everything that we think that we want. But again, until I hit a brick wall and felt that emptiness, and it, again, it was an identity kind of that was missing. I really dug into who I was, and it kind of changed into me needing to, you know, uphold 
you know, my ancestors and what they mm-hmm. went through to make me this better person because I wanted to be not because of the rewards that I feel like I'm going to get in the afterlife, not mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm going to be condemned, but I want to be a good person and I want to send out good vibrations for my future generations so they can make something beautiful out of the land that was given to us that we need to tend again. We are here just for a short period of time. We do not own the land. We belong to it, and we need to do our best as, um, as a whole indigenous community um, for better for our kids, for our future generations. Mm, love that. Where can people reach you in case they want to work with you in, in some aspect? Um, I'm kind of a recluse. Um, you can find me on Facebook, though, Alicia okay. Flores, Gonzalez Langua, kind of long. But um, I'm always on there every now and then. Um, other than that, I've kind of took a mental break here for a little bit because it was kind of getting a little bit That's little good. bit scary out there in some mm-hmm. aspects and a little bit um, tiresome. So I decided to throw myself in being mom for a little bit, and it mm-hmm. has done wonders for me. Oh. It, seriously, I needed it. I feel you. Yeah, sometimes you gotta take, uh, you gotta take that mental break um, to be able to not, not burn out. Uh, yes. Because it's so easy to burn out. Specifically, first of all, it's, it's easy to burn out when you're a, a uh, part of the BIPOC community, just in general, right? Because of everything yes. that's happening, and then you add a pandemic, and then you add this, the regular stressors of life. Uh, like, what what do you do? One of the things that I ask a lot of the guests is, what do you do to take care of your mental health? So, for you, what what do you do besides besides social media break? Oh, man, I love cooking, and I really want to get back into it more because I really try to um, try to be on the decolonized path when it comes to looking up new recipes or mm. things of that nature, just to try to, like, kind of focus myself. I like to go on walks. I like to enjoy my coffee. Just be, being able to get up in the morning and sit outside and, like, watch the sun come up and just mm. kind of, like, plan out to the day and just think about what I'm going to do that kind of just, like, helps – helps myself, helps others, and helps the space. It helps the spaces that I feel like I'm going to be in. Mm-hmm. And I like, and I don't do it as enough as, you know, I you need should. to, but I feel like that's something that really, really helps me. And I try to, again, do a lot of, um, you know, outreach when it comes to reaching out to my family and um, some of my friends that, uh, you know, are just kind of there for me. It's mm-hmm. mental health. Again, I was diagnosed with um, bipolar 1 PTSD social anxiety two years ago, mm-hmm. and um, I really wish I would have been diagnosed sooner because it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. regulation is very, um, very important to me. Medication, please, everyone, if I can use this platform, don't ever be scared to take your medication. No. Please do not. I know there's a stigma around it, but if it helps you, that is wonderful. That's amazing, and that's yeah. that means that it's meant for you. Don't let anyone try to dictate how you heal and what is yeah. best for you in your mental state. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm like I I still struggle with that today because um, I have like little anxiety episodes here or there, and Myra tells me all the time, just get on anxiety medicine. I'm yeah. like, wait, let me just wait to see if it just goes away, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and right. instead of instead of just being like, oh, I should get on medication, right? Yeah. So that's something that I'm still battling with myself, so. Yeah, and that's just part of the game, me too, you know, it's always a back and forth, it's always like, mm-hmm. maybe I don't need it, maybe if I do this, because I know that there's, like, and I speak for myself too, and I'm sure like a whole bunch of other people just waking up every day and needing to take the medication, mm-hmm. like even that in itself is kind of like omnious and daunting of like having to take up, and but... 
I try to like push that out of my mind because I try because with me I go on my manic episodes and like mm. I'm able to do 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 but then I my crash is just so mm. depressive low and yeah. I just you know can't get out of bed and I try to like you know not put myself into like bad mental spaces but I have to like reality check myself and say is this will this be worse than how I felt the other day yeah. and usually it's get up and take your medication mm. you need to well thank you for mentioning that and You're welcome. overall, thank you for being here, Alicia. I'm really happy that, that you came on here to talk about these issues that we need to talk about more. Uh, more people need to be educated, including myself. Um, like I said at the beginning, I'm just I'm glad that you came here and, and, and gave me, you know, different topics for me to research and, and learn. So hopefully, you know, I'm able to become a better advocate in the future. And also, you know, hopefully we continue these conversations. This won't be the last time that you're on the podcast. We can continue talking about this in the future. And um, as society develops and, and we kind of come into terms of like all these different issues that, um, you know, like, for example, uh, a few years back, we were talking about the pipelines and there was events that were happening, you know, to protest those. So I feel like, unfortunately, things are going to continue to happen like that where we need to have a conversation about it and we need to educate people on what they can do to 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 be a better ally and to be an advocate against the oppression, suppression that's happening in society. Um, so thank you for being here. I appreciate you. And, and thank you for everybody that's listening. That was episode 149 of the District 3 podcast with indigenous activist Alicia Flores. Um, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, guys. Bye.